Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. It's not a coincidence that we had Larry Terrell here this month. We're reading from Thich Nhat Hanh and the Buddhist tradition. And uh, I chose this book because it's doing something, I think, a little different than many uh, Buddhists' work. Uh, He's actually talking about how we can find a joy and meaning in every day of our lives, and in particular, in that thing that we call work, in our vocations and in our jobs. And and it's been kind of a fun ride. I've certainly enjoyed this month. Uh, And I will say that I was a little bit startled by today's material when I was rereading it. Now let me read to you how, uh, how this week's material uh, starts out. According to the traditional business model in most Western countries, competition is the way to achieve success. We believe that we're powerful when we're at our most competitive, and we believe that we can only be successful, of course, if other people fail. When we lose, we suffer because we think this means that someone else is better than we are. And when we're successful, striving to be that best, to be at the top, we have to work very, very hard to get there. And once we reach the top, we have to keep on striving in order to stay there. Often we suffer greatly from the enormous stress and we become burnt out. I think this explains my conundrum from week one. Remember when I was kind of scratching my head to ask, what is this about the TGIF syndrome? The, you know, we work really hard five days a week and then blessedly on Friday afternoon around three o'clock, right? We start thinking not so much of the work week and instead, phew, I finally get to be myself. I finally get to enjoy life. As though somehow we're meant to have five days a week where we don't get to enjoy ourselves, where we're at the beck and call of other people or other companies or other ways of being. And then finally, you know, as though by magic, you know, the bell rings or whatever, and we can transform ourselves into the beautiful butterfly on on the weekend and have fun and do what we want. And of course, as we've discovered, it doesn't always work that way, right? We've discovered that so much of happiness and joy is what's on the inside. And throughout the month, we've talked about ways that we can bring joy even to our mundane tasks of life, whether it be at work or whether it's doing the dishes at home or other things. We've talked about joy being an inside job and what we can do about that. But I do think this interesting notion of competition perhaps explains that TGIF phenomenon, right? If we're expected to be competitive all week long, if it's about getting more clients, even at the expense of other agents, if it's about you know making the stock increase at the expense of other companies, it's a, if it's about more clients and sales quotients and service indexes and all of those competitive type things, well, phew, we don't want to be that way at home. Home isn't about competition. Well, of course, we could make an argument. I have actually seen some couples that are pretty competitive in their lives as well. And you can see typically where that leads. It's not to happiness, right? And of course, our goal at home would be happiness. 
Why do you think that com- competition exists? Thich Nhat Hanh has a couple theories that I want to uh, take by you, but first I think maybe a joke about competition is in order. A shopkeeper was dismayed when a brand new business, much like his own, opened up right next door to the south of him. They put a huge sign in their window that read, Best Deals Ever. A few days later, another competitor opened up just to the north of his shop, and to the shopkeeper's horror, it announced its arrival with another big sign reading, Lowest Prices Ever. The shopkeeper initially panicked, of course, but then he got an idea. He put the biggest sign of all over the top of his own shop. It read, very simply, main entrance. (laughs) I think it's time that we take another look at this competition thing. I think it's time that we wonder out loud and to our own selves if competition is really all that useful as a business model, might there be other options? Might there be other ways of looking at our coworkers, our clients, our, our business that isn't competition-based? So first of all, I think the reason it is the way it is is that we think that competition will bring us what we want. We think that competition will bring us money, power, prestige, rewards, success. And of course, if we're looking at outward causes, It may bring some of those things to us if at the expense of other people we manage to accumulate the money, if at the expense of other companies we manage to corner all the clients, if through competition we get power or prestige or money or things like that, it will sometimes create an environment where we can enjoy our lives more. But don't you see, often that's a very temporary and kind of fleeting thing, right? And what Thich Nhat Hanh said about them, the impetus to, to keep selling even harder, to keep making even more, it, it's almost like you're on a treadmill if you use the competition model. And we know where treadmills lead us. We get stronger muscles, but we also just get tired. <laughs> so what might we do instead of this idea of competition? Well, Thich Nhat Hanh has an interesting theory that I want to try out for size on you folks. He said part of the reason that we're involved in competition is that our idea, that our idea of power is out of whack. We think that power will bring us what we need in order to be happy. And he talks about power, and, and boy, do these definitions of existing power in the United States, do these not fit in with the model of competition? He says the way most people in America think about power today is money, that if we have enough money, we'll be powerful. We can buy what we need. We can buy what, uh, you, you know, the accoutrements of the good life, of the best job, of whatever it is we need, money can buy it. And when that doesn't work, we define power as fame and influence, right? It's not who you, it's not what you do, it's who you are. If you're, it, you know, if you have vice president in the title of your job description, if you're the, the, the head buyer, or the senior minister, right? That's my power, if you will, in a way. That's the influence I have just through the the title that I have. Lastly, Thich Nhat Hanh says uh, that we use, and and this one is the sad one uh, because we're kind of ashamed of it, and yet do we not also use force and might? Do we not just simply tell people, you need to do this, I'm the boss here, 
Get with it, sweep the floor, you know. Perform to the sales quotients that you're supposed to, you know. Do what you're supposed to do or, you know, or what? Or you'll get fired, you'll, right? There's a, it's like punishment-based, if you will. It's force through might. Well, all of these things traditionally have been used as tools in the business world, and that, I think, does back up the idea of competition, because all of those things are competitively based, right? It's like, well, there's only so much money, so, you know, if this person's going to get a lot, in, in fact, just even take, let's take the history of a company that we're all familiar with, and I think it might help us with this idea. Remember when Apple Computer first started out, what were they manufacturing? They were manufacturing the Apple II, and I gotta tell you, I got one, and what I discovered was, you had to be a computer programmer in order to use it. It came with almost no software at all, and you had to learn how to use a basic compiler. Basically, it was for the geekiest of the geeky people. And when it came out, remember how it was heralded. Does anyone remember the 1984 Super Bowl series where the famous Apple commercial came out? This was kind of like their first foray into wanting to be the big company well known. Well, it was an Orwellian 1984 with, the, with a young woman with a sledgehammer breaking down the icon of, uh, of civilized society. And in particular, of course, who was she bashing? Who was she competing with? It was IBM. It was blatantly a, you know, here's the small upstart company, Apple, at war with, competing with the megalith IBM. IBM doesn't even make personal computers anymore. But you know what? It wasn't because of the Apple II. Those sold in very small numbers. And again, it was to the geeky people. It was to the people who wanted to rebel that idea of competition against IBM. Sold very small numbers. Apple was not going to be a big company. About 10 years after that, though, they changed their tactic. I don't know. They probably paid enough to a marketing team or, or something to decide, uh, decide what it was that people were really interested in. And if you look at the advertising at that time, it was, we make products that are insanely great. And they were really product-oriented for a while. They really tried to make the very best kind of products they could with the idea this would appeal to more people. And oh my gosh, it, it did. The early Macintoshes were, were hugely popular. Still a little difficult to use compared with today's uh, thing, but the emphasis had changed a little bit from competition into building something that would actually be useful, into building something that someone who wasn't a, a total geek um, could enjoy and learn how to, how to work. This, so, this, this evolution of Apple, I think, so fits in with Thich Nhat Hanh because what he is saying is our old ideas of power, of competition for money, fame, and influence, and force just really don't work that well anymore or work as well as we would like them to. And so his idea of power, and we're gonna work through these a little bit together because I think you'll go, really? So that's what I'm gonna do at work? That's a new definition of power? His definition of power, and similarly to money, fame and influence, force and might, he has three to contrast with those, three alternatives. And he said the first one, is actually understanding. 
And this is what Apple did around its products. It said it's not enough just to build something that's really cool. It's not enough to just build the, the fastest processor or the, do you know what I mean? The biggest screen or, you know, whatever it is. He, they said, we need to find out what people want. And so they actually sat down with hundreds and hundreds of people to discover what it was people wanted in a computer. And you know what part of the discovery was? That most people didn't necessarily want a computer at all. At that time, computers were like spreadsheets and word processors. And I, and I guess for, for some of us, you know, it's exciting to have a good word processor. But <laughs> actually, a lot of days, I wish I didn't have one at all, to be honest. <laughs> but, uh, but what they discovered was people were turned on by a variety of things. And that's when they first started making iPods so you could take your music with you. And, and they really got into the idea of understanding people. Thich Nhat Hanh says the idea of understanding people and their motivations and what's true for them is one of the most powerful things we actually can do. That if we really understand people, if we get to know them, if we find out what's important to them, what goes well for them, what doesn't go well for them, if we can be there in the place of compassion for people who have needs that haven't been met, then we're in the position of meeting those needs. It's exactly what Apple did in the, in the 80s and in the 90s. They actually sat down with hundreds and hundreds of people, not just marketing executives, that could say, oh, you need a bigger screen or you need more RAM or more ROM or a bigger hard drive because the Samsung people were doing that, the IBM people were doing that. What people wanted was a computer they could actually use. They wanted a computer that had a graphical interface, and that was where the, the first Macintosh was born and so on. Computers that people could find utility in that would be easy to use. And that moved into iPods because people wanted to take their music with them and do some of the things that just a cassette recorder you know, uh, 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 wasn't very useful for. Understanding, really getting to know someone else is one of the most powerful things you can do. And it comes mostly through listening. The second form of power that Thich Nhat Hanh talks about at the last few chapters of this book might shock you, and, and it may be difficult to see its immediate application in the business world, but it absolutely was what Starr actually prayed about today. Thich Nhat Hanh says one of the most powerful forces we have on the planet is love. And he says, if we want to be successful in anything, if we want to be powerful in everything, then we need to love everyone. And he said, this is the way how we can be successful in business too. When people, both employees and customers, really get that you're interested in them. And I'm not talking about love in terms of dating, right? I, I, I mean, I don't want to somehow get confused. We're not about talking about taking clients out on a date and winding them and dining them kind of thing, right? That's, you know, that's for the old Mad Men episodes on TV, right? Well, that's, that's something else. What he's talking about, though, is recognizing in every single person there is a part of God just as there is a part of God in you. 
and that is there to be loved, and that people will respond to love. And oh my gosh, this is so true. I I mean, from my own life, I remember, um, actually, it's almost 20 years ago now, I had such a stinky boss. Oh my gosh, he was bad. He was one of those gruff, kind of old boy network sort of people. And if you did anything, even the slightest bit wrong, you could be a top employee, and for him it was always, what did you do today? right? You could be my top salesperson. Well, that's nice and that's fun. But what about the whatever account? Why weren't you on your toes? And why didn't you grab that money? And why didn't you do this? And what I discovered was he couldn't be up against me in that way when love was in the room. And when he would call me into my office, sometimes I had to get a little bit creative because I wasn't necessarily feeling the love, right? But I would say something like, uh, oh my gosh, I see the picture of your, your daughter on your desk there. How is she doing? Is she still competing so well in soccer at school? And suddenly, it's as though a different man were sitting across the desk for me. He responded to love. He recognized that in me was something just like his daughter, that in him was something just like the way he felt about his daughter, that love could be present at work as well. And he would suddenly just just completely calm down and we could have an honest-to-goodness discussion about you know, what he wanted to have done or whatever and it would be quite pleasant. And he would actually tend to be actually complimentary about what a good job I had done and things like that simply by approaching him as another human being made out of the same God stuff that I'm made out of. Love, even in business, can be your most important tool. Now, it doesn't mean we have to go to all of our coworkers and say we love them. Uh, it doesn't mean that we, you know, we talk about love in the, in, in the same way that we might with our friends and our family. But don't you see, that's the difference between the thank God it, it's Friday syndrome and the, the, that I'm at home. It's as though we've carved our lives up to say nine to five, five days a week, there's no love because it's work. Well, that's just BS. And if we really want to be successful, the love needs to be there as well. Now, we may show it a little differently. It may show up to us a little differently. It may be as, as simple as uh, you know, bringing a cup of coffee to someone or checking out uh, how their weekend was. But truly, love can be at work too. And I had to notice, last time I was in the Apple store, I think they actually love their employees. To begin with, calling a geek a genius and putting, behind, putting her or him behind the genius bar? Oh my gosh! Can you imagine a better way for a corporation to say I love you than doing that? And the flexible hours and some of the other things they've tailored into the, the mostly young people that have those jobs, they absolutely went in with the understanding not only their clients and what they want, but also their employees and what's important to them. Are they the best paying jobs on the planet? No, sadly not. But some of the things tailored for that age group and that interest in terms of being able to buy things at cost from the stores and flexible hours and, and uh, uh, ske- easily schedulable days off and things like that, absolutely, that's what those people want. They really listened to them. Their heart was involved. 
The last thing, and this is the hardest, I think, from a, a Western business practice standpoint, the last area of power that Thich Nhat Hanh says we have to wield is on letting go of expectations. It's acceptance. And he says that whenever we hold fast to the idea of time schedules, our beliefs in exactly how things should be, uh, our uh, unwavering commitment to sales goals or uh, personnel issues or whatever it is, we're simply setting ourselves up for unhappiness. The universe never plays out the way we think it will six months sooner or 12 months sooner, right? It's like, when does it? And if we have that inflexible idea, of this is the way it will go. This is the way she will behave. This is the way this business meeting will be conducted. This is the way life is going to be. This is the way the promotion should work. When we hold on to those things with vigor and tightness, oh my gosh, we're just setting ourselves up for misery. When we let go... How does this work? Well, we're doing our best. We're going with that idea of love and understanding, right? From the two other elements of power. And then we're going to leave it up to what happens and be okay with it. Now, this is a little difficult. I understand. Most of us are used to sales quotas or, or mission statements that are very focused on, I need to do this by this certain date, or this needs to happen in a certain way, and that spells success. And you might even think then that a big company like Apple would be that way. You know what? Not so much. As recently as two weeks ago, Apple Computer was still modifying the final designs for the phones that they're going to start advertising for sale next week. It's because they realized we need to know what people want right now, not six months ago, not to set up inviolable schedules of production and materials and things like that a year ahead and then whether it makes sense or not to stick to it. That's what the other people in the business do. But I think what Apple realized is no, we need the flexibility of being in the moment of accepting what's here right now. If people want this product to be a little different right now, we better right now make it a little different. If people, if the materials aren't working out, I know one of the reasons they made some uh, changes to the specifications is that the, I don't know, the little film of glass on it couldn't be as narrow as they wanted, or I don't know. I don't know all the technical stuff. But what I do know is they could have switched buyers in the glass to find someone that would do it for them, and they didn't want to do that because they wanted to keep the partnership. Their suppliers were important to them. And so they actually redesigned in a small way the, the phone itself so that they could keep those same partners and build up the, the, the partnership that they had going together. Do you see how competition would lead people in a different direction? Do you see how the idea of focusing just on what's, um, I don't know, a sales quotient or, or a number of clients you have to be successful with, focusing on the numbers is useful, but only to an extent. 
That leads me to where Thich Nhat Hanh says he would recommend businesses go. Now, now take this with a grain of salt, right? This is a Buddhist monk telling business moguls how they ought to organize their jobs. And yet, and yet it rings true to me. He says that 50% of a business person's job actually should be paying attention to what we call profit, right? Because if the business isn't profitable, all the employees are let go, the, the goods and services that they provide no one gets to take advantage of, certainly making a profit is important. But the other thing that he says we need to focus on equally is simply happiness. If our clients are happy, if our workers are happy, if the people in our supply chains and retail stores and the whole nine yards, if we can make the experience as positive and pleasant as possible, there'll be no stopping us. People will stand in line for a day to get the latest iPhone. Why? Not necessarily because that phone is all that much better than the next one or the last one. It's because of a belief that they're doing and that they're being something that's wonderful. And I guess that gets back to the last lesson from Apple. So they went through the shift, right? At first, they were absolutely about competition. And their, their advertising campaign was, we're going to crush IBM. We're going to do whatever we need to be to be dominant in the microcomputer industry. They switched that up about 10 years later. And then their motto was, we make insanely great products. Do you know what their motto is now? It's to delight the customer. It's almost as though they don't even make things anymore. Do you know what I mean? In a way, do they even care whether it's a phone or an iPod or a, an experience on the Apple store or whatever it is, right? Because anymore, they're selling all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, they really are. You can see an Apple logo on more things than you would imagine. Their plan now is to delight you. Would you like to be delighted? What an amazing business plan. It's like they've built that Thich Nhat Hanh idea of happiness. Are they focused in on the finances? Well, of course they are. Absolutely they are. In fact, I think they're going to get into credit card processing, so step back. <laughs> Absolutely they're in on the finances. But delighting our customers and our employees? Oh my gosh. Is there any reason that you wouldn't want to buy something from them. See, I think they're banking on that. And that's where I want to end today. Because Thich Nhat Hanh says, if we replace the old three ideas of power, if we replace the uh, over-attachment to money, fame and influence, and force, if we replace those with understanding, love, and acceptance, we will be financially successful. He says this isn't a compromise. This isn't about giving up our business to be nice people. Uh, he's saying that we will make our business by being nice people. He's saying that through cooperation, we can do way more than we ever will with competition. I'm going to close today, but of course you know you're not escaping without a bit of homework 
my homework <laughs> suggestion for the week is simply, how can you implement power, this new idea of power, which is understanding, love, and letting go or acceptance, how can you implement those in your own life right now, both at work and at home? And it doesn't mean you have to take apart the competitive model that might exist where you work now, right? That can stay in place. I'm just talking about you. And I think you will discover that when you use love, when you use understanding, when you use that ability to accept what's before you, you will become more successful, even if the model that surrounds you is competition. People will go out of their way to buy your products when you're perceived as that force of love in the world. People will go out of their way to look you up when they recognize you want to understand them. You want to find out what makes them tick. You want to find out what their unmet needs are and address them. You can be incredibly successful using these new ideas of power even if you don't work for yourself, even if you're plugging into some you know, old-style competitive school or, or job or environment or whatever. All right, that's your homework for this week. I'm gonna close with a, a sweet reading that closes out our book and uh, a course of prayer. Regardless of what work we do, part of our work is to help bring about a collective healing a collective transformation and an awakening for our own well-being and also for the sake of the planet. Every one of us has to work to produce this collective awakening. Each of us has to sit down and look deeply to see what we can be, what we can do today to help relieve the suffering around us, to help reduce the stress and competition, to help bring about more joy and more happiness. By living your life with awareness, you can contribute to the work of this collective awakening of the planet. Let us pray. There is one power, one life, one love, one joy. There is but one thing, one consciousness. I, I call it God, but regardless of the name you use for it, it encompasses all. All of the joy in the planet rolled into one. And, and better than that, that largest container of love, that is what God is to me. And I know without question that I'm right in the middle of it, that I am a, a centralized version of it even, that my own heart is calling out in love to the universe, in joy to the universe, with, with peace and harmony to all. And as it's true for me, I know it is true that capability exists for each person in this room. Each person here can put aside some of those competition and fear-based notions of the way the world works. We can simply put it aside and accept love. For our, our power definition, may each person here have that capability of seeing that truly understanding one another is so very powerful. That truly loving one another is that, that exquisite notion of connection and power. That being able to let go and, and move along in acceptance and joy, that that is our birthright. And you know, I'm simply grateful for this. I'm simply grateful at the potential of each person in this room for truly finding out who they really are. That spiritual nature based in love. And so in gratitude, I release this prayer. I release it into the activity of the mind. 
I know that it is good. I know that it is done. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.